Okay, we're going to talk about learning module number four, protective force theory. This course is designed to teach security officers protective force theory, improve decision making, and safe officer practices. The course is a combination of in-person and remote video presentations and assessments. The departmental, ethical, legal, and social considerations for using protective force to resolve workplace conflict and violence are covered. Our proprietary situational protective action risk continuum, or SPARK chart, will be utilized to enhance protective force decision making. There are really no prerequisites for this course, but learning module uh, five, the SPARK matrix is highly recommended. Okay, the student, the student learning outcomes for this learning module number four, protective force theory, are explain the role that force plays in resolving workplace conflict and violence, define protective force, describe the comparison of alternatives in force decision making, distinguish the behaviors that may justify the use of protective force, list the six points of objective reasonableness test, or ORT for short, Explain how to use the SPARK matrix to align subject resistance or risk with appropriate protective force options using totality of circumstances. And finally, define the necessary elements for documenting force use. So if this is your first uh, learning module, the first, four, uh, the first uh, approximately 20 slides are very similar in each of the learning modules. So if you're following along in the slides, uh, move to the slide that says course outline. And then after that, you can, you can move forward to the slide that says begin instruction. So the course outline for learning module four is A, using protective force to resolve workplace conflict and violence. B, justifying the use of protective force. C, using the SPARK decision-making matrix. And the training plan is approximately uh, four hours for this learning module. And that will involve uh, um, working through the PowerPoint and then also looking at a few YouTube videos and then potentially uh, utilizing Zoom, our virtual learning platform, via Zoom. And then take the learning module four exam. So that is our training plan for learning module four. So I'm going to fast forward in the slides to the slide that says begin instruction, and that is 27, slide 27 on learning module four. So to understand uh, force and protective force in particular, uh, we have to kind of understand what the organization will expect from you as a professional security officer and also understand your limits of uh, whether they're protective tools or tactics in using force. But the reality, the reality of it is that no rational person prefers to use force to influence behaviors. Non-physically coercive influence is always preferred. However, under certain circumstances, physical intervention may be necessary to protect people. When security officers choose to use force to de-escalate or neutralize harmful behaviors, they need to make safe and legal choices. When communication alone is either ineffective or inappropriate, force may be the only alternative 
to protect others. Now, if you're going to resolve or manage conflict, information is your number one asset. So what do you know about the conflict? What is unknown about the conflict? What is the minimum quality and quantity of information that's needed to reserve, excuse me, to resolve workplace conflict? Problems involving humans and human behavior is often complex. So the problem, what happened, and the cause, why did it happen, and then solutions. And that's where you come in as a professional security officer. Your job is to restore it, to correct it, to make it right. So let's talk about delineating workplace conflict from workplace violence. In short, workplace conflict can be managed, but workplace violence cannot. Workplace violence must be stopped, neutralized, and you must gain physical compliance over those individuals that are involved in creating violent acts. So what behaviors cross over the conflict line to become workplace violence versus workplace conflict? Communication and relationship building are the keys to managing conflict and keeping it from escalating. Our LEARNS de-escalation communication system is effective for managing passive-aggressive behaviors. However, once behavior escalates to or is at direct aggression, communication becomes less effective and possibly counterproductive as well because you cannot use communication to stop violent acts. You must intervene, and that typically involves protective tactics and tools. What is the role of force in resolving workplace conflict? Every workplace has some degree of consumer-related interpersonal conflict that at times needs managing or resolving. Although some of the theories or ideas that we present here in this learning module, they deal with um, other kinds of, maybe useful to deal with other kinds of conflict as an example, maybe employee-employee conflict, or maybe intimate relationships, but our focus here is conflict that is generated within a workplace in, in a workplace environment, and it typically involves at least one employee and one customer. Force is a possible solution for, for resolving workplace violence, but not for managing interpersonal conflict. Therefore, professional security officers need to become or be, at some point, experts at identifying passive-aggressive behaviors and directly aggressive ones so that they can understand uh, when, under what circumstances, force can be applied to resolve the conflict. Every organization has a code of conduct or some behavioral standard or standards that all people should follow, whether it's employees, visitors, consumers. And when people violate it, or appear to violate the, the code of conduct, uh, professional security officers should try to influence that behavior and help the individual correct it by non-physical coercive means. Force is one way to influence behavior. Good communication is another. But in some cases, communication is ineffective, and you'll have no choice but to resort to, to protective tactics or tools. The best fight is certainly one that never takes place. The nature of workplace conflict, it is inevitable, it is unavoidable, it is unpredictable, and in some environments it's rare. Unfortunately, uh, if it's rare, that may lead to complacency. 
inevitable means it's going to happen, unavoidable, can't stop it, unpredictable. We just don't know when it's going to happen. There are some unique challenges associated with managing and process this process um, with these inherent characteristics. So if we're trying to manage a process that's, that's inevitable, that's unavoidable, that's unpredictable, that is going to be a very challenging uh, task. And that's why professional security officers have to be well-trained and have the right disposition to deal with these, um, these very difficult human interactions. Most people like to make sure that they reduce uh, uncertainty in their interpersonal interactions and uh, professional security officers need to do their best as well to reduce uncertainty by being able to use excellent verbal communication to de-escalate passive-aggressive behaviors to keep them from escalating to direct aggression and violent behaviors. So let's define protective force. And we use the term protective force instead of use of force primarily because as a professional security officer, your number one job is to protect people and in some cases assets or stuff. As police officers or law enforcement officers, uh, they use force much differently and we'll discuss that later on in the training. So def we're defining protective force as deliberate, non-punitive, personal interaction, whether it's accomplished through the use of protective tactics or with a protective tool used for the narrow purpose of protecting the involved individuals, including employees, consumers, or visitors, from immediate or active physical harm, or used to control a subject who is a danger to themselves or others, or has co committed an, an interpersonal crime, and it's applied in a manner that balances employee safety with the resistant individual's legal civil rights. So let's look at some takeaways from this description. Deliberate meaning not incidental or accidental. Non-punitive meaning not meant to punish. Accomplished through personal body contact or with a protective tool or device used for the narrow purpose of protection from immediate or active physical harm, or used to control or detain a, resist, a resistant subject, and applied in a manner that balances employee safety with the subject's legal rights. Authority to use protective force. The organization's policies and procedures and guidelines, the statutes and laws, and personal morals and ethics. Using force to protect yourself or protect others. Security personnel defending themselves, defending employees, defending consumers, or, de or defending others. And that could be people that simply are passing through the environment where you work. So what are some of the challenges or risks involved in protecting others? So protecting yourself, what are the risks? We define self-defense as the right to prevent suffering, force, or violence using a sufficient level of counter counteracting force or violence. 
Organizations are limited in curtailing security officers from defending themselves against assaults. Now, in some cases, organizations have very uh, detailed boundaries in regards to using protective tools or tactics, and organizations can, within their legal rights, um, have policies and procedures and guidelines that detail how security officers should interact when they are, in, when they are dealing with uh, violent and or aggressive uh, behaviors. However, no organization could can um, have a policy or enforce a policy that says that the security officer cannot defend, them, defend themselves against a physical assault. So when you are defending yourself, the uh, risks to yourself may be high and the risks to the organization may be high. But uh, an ethical, moral organization will not, will not attempt to create policies and procedures that limit the security officer's ability to protect themselves. Much different when it comes to protecting others. So what are the risks when protecting others? Do you, as a professional security officer, have an affirmative requirement to protect employees, the consumers, visitors, or just anyone that is um, frequent, frequenting the organization that you're employed by? And if so, what kind of risks or type of risks should you be required ethically or morally uh, to protect? So employees seems pretty simple. When it comes to consumers or visitors or maybe people who are involved in either unethical or criminal behavior, do you also have an obligation to protect them? Depending upon the organization that you work for, they may spell this out very clearly on policy, saying, yes, you do have an affirmative ethical legal requirement under these set of circumstances and, in, and under other circumstances you don't. So as a professional security officer, you do need to know this, uh, those uh, guidelines or boundaries in regards to protecting others. And ethical, moral organizations should spell those circumstances out for you as an officer. So what do you know and what don't you know when you are interacting with uh, resistant individuals? And the policies and guidelines will give you some help on how to respond your ethics and morals will give you some, some guidelines from how to respond to those individuals and, of course, your abilities. So let's talk about ourselves, knowing ourselves. Before choosing to intervene and or use protective force to influence behaviors, do the best you can to know your psychological, emotional, and physical limitations. Are you able to make a positive contribution to a very difficult human interaction? You have to be honest, and you have to make sure that you're not operating outside of your lane. So, if you are dealing with some very difficult um, challenges at home, maybe you are in a slightly unstable emotional or psychological condition, even if it's temporary, you need to be aware of that. And, or if you have some physical limitations, again, you have to be honest about these things. If you're not, you may put yourself and others in a position to be harmed, to be injured, and you don't want to be that. As a professional security officer, you need to be honest about uh, your limitations.
Let's talk about defensiveness and defensiveness as a response. So there are two kinds of defensiveness. There are physical and psychological. Psychological is a reaction that aims to protect one's presenting self or face by denying responsibility and verbally counteracting. Excuse me, counterattacking. Physical is a reaction that aims to protect one's physical self by physically counterattacking. And if you uh, know the OODA loop, observation, orientation, decision, and action, that uh, matrix of response to competitiveness, the OODA loop, we typically will observe some uh, criteria or some stimuli, we'll orientate ourselves to it, and then we'll make some decisions about what we should do, and then we'll act. Uh, face, as defined in this section, is our socially approved identity, and face work, which is part of that, are the things that we do verbally and non-verbally so that we can act to maintain our socially approved identity and social identity when we're around others. So uh, defensiveness is a very important um, response for us to understand because we say and do things that create a defensive response in others and others say and do things that create a defensive response in us. And as a professional security officer, we need to make sure that we're limiting the, the potential for us to create uh, defensiveness in others and, to, and then also to respond professionally when others attempt to create defensiveness in us. So let's talk about defense arousal. That is really the cause. Arousing defensiveness. You can do it or the other person you're interacting with can. You send a message that they interpret as attack on their face and or their person, or they send a message that you interpret as attack on your face and or your person, and it can arouse a defensive response. Now, this message can be physiological, could be psychological, could be emotional, or could be physical. Let's talk about triggers or triggers, trigger warnings. So what are your triggers? How do your needs and expectations impact the interaction? How does it exacerbate it? Does it regulate it? Does it reduce tensions? If your presence increases tensions, you're doing it wrong. There is something called righteous anger or ethical anger, and then there's other anger that is personal and is destructive, not only to you and to others, and it will escalate conflict. So professional security officers do, again, have to know their limitations and, and know them to the best that you can prior to being involved in any high-intensity interpersonal conflict. Because once you're in it, it's going to be very difficult to manage your emotions or your impulses, especially if you become emotionally unstable rather quickly in the interaction. Psychology, why do we have the desire to punish people for not acting or behaving right? 
So one of the areas that uh, people in law enforcement and also in security, one of the issues that they often have is they have a very high sense of moral and ethical um, rightness. So what, how people should behave, and when they don't behave, what should happen to them. So none of us have any pure motives, but we do have to make sure that we're doing the best we can to examine ourselves so that when we interact with people, especially people acting in a, in a way that uh, strikes us as, as um, wrong, in a sense, out of the ordinary, could be unethical, could be criminal, it could just be strange or bizarre, that we have to be aware that if we have a desire to punish people for not acting right, we have to make sure that we're not, um, we're not trying to force them to change their behavior that um, and force them in ways that would be unethical or immoral. So sometimes we think we need to even the score. Sometimes we think we need to balance the scales. And sometimes we think we just need to make this thing right. So we have to be very aware of our uh, desire at times to punish people for not acting right. However, our primary responsibility to our organization and also to ourselves is to protect people and not punish people. So when people are acting poorly, acting badly, acting outside the organization's approved behavioral standards or outside the uh, preferred conduct, we have to be aware that we are not in a position to have to punish people. So security people, security personnel, especially professional security officers, should never respond to conflict punitively. We don't punish individuals, we protect them. And in some cases, we protect them from their foolishness from themselves. The branch of the criminal justice system that punishes is not ours. That would be the courts and the judicial side, not us. We are in the protection side. Using force and the public perceptions. So does your behavior both your verbal and nonverbal actions create the impression that you're using force because you're ticked off or mad or really any other illegitimate motivation because the subject is behaving badly or poorly? What you say, the verbal things, and what you don't say, nonverbal, they matter in how others will interpret your possible motivations for using force. I say possible. So as observers of security officers interacting with resistant individuals, oftentimes observers will assume bad motives by the security officer or in some cases it could be the police officer. So what does your facial expressions communicate? What does your body orientation communicate? And what do the words you're speaking communicate? So when you're swearing and you're cussing and you're MFing the person, what does that communicate to onlookers? Perception matters, but ethical use of protective force is required to protect others and to protect yourself. Okay, let's. Um, this learning module will be broken down into uh, three sections. Uh, this will be the end of section one, and we'll. I'll be back for the next two sections.